0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And to start things off, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about you, Justin, actually, and the show. When we always talk about how like the ECHL for coaches is like this big, like, like almost crash course um, for any hockey ops job. And I don't think we've mentioned we have maybe in passing, but I don't think we've discussed really how the ECHL is a huge launching pad for Danny Breer and his route to becoming GM. And I say that because I know that. So one of the scouts for the flyers I noticed was, was uh, Greg chase who played in main under Danny Breer. And I believe that's how he got the job. And um, I was just looking into it. And I remember reading how Danny Breer cause Comcast owns both was really taking a big role with the Mariners. Um, it's kind of interesting like that's it, have we ever seen that in terms of like the management kind of shift because usually it's the coaches who do a lot of that but have we seen that trajectory ever
1: honestly not that I can think of but you know in the old IHL which right. was technically a step up a lot of those guys are still around oh yeah in NHL but uh no I can't really think of any and that's probably because a lot of these teams don't have a player personnel
0: guy. Don't right. Have yeah. A
1: GM. It's like a where unique I am situation. In, yeah. In Fort Wayne, they do. Uh, well, let me let me. Well, clarify that they don't have a general manager devoted to the hockey operations. Right. Side. Right. Fort Wayne does. Um, Kansas City used to. I'm not even sure if they still do. So those guys are, are just rare at this level. You just the coach handles all that stuff.
0: Like, I um, wonder, do you think he's he almost learning a lot of the business side of it, too? Because, you know, there's got to been such the Comcast connection. I, I I take it it wasn't just him being what we division as a GM. Like, he must have really gotten the back end education, too.
1: Yeah, I, you would assume. I You know, I don't know specifically with him. But it must have done
0: good enough. Like, I mean, yeah. he became the initial GM. It's, just, it's yeah. interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, no matter how you cut it, like at this level, you're you're dealing with some stuff, you know, whether it's just travel, totally. you know, like how are we going to get this team from A to B? Uh, you know, Fort Wayne just played four games in three cities in 89 hours. Think about that one. Four games, three cities, wow. 89 hours. So they played Friday night in Fort Wayne, Saturday night and wow. Sunday afternoon in Toledo and then Tuesday morning in Cincinnati, morning game so, season. Yes, so I mean we could talk about that in a second, but um, you know you're dealing with just the logistics of that. There's stupid stuff that people never think about, like what if we need a a, a late checkout from the hotel and we got to stow 25 guys in your hotel and we have to figure that stuff. Not always easy. We got to get them fed in Toledo, Ohio at 30 at night as we leave town. Not necessarily all that easy. We have a player coming in, crossing the border. We got to get his immigration yeah. work visas, you know, approved to get him in town in time and for housing the and housing, you know, all, all that type of stuff. I mean, there's just so much that but
0: goes on. It kind of makes sense though, in this rare situation that you're like how it's kind of transferable because when you're a GM, you are managing in the NHL, you're managing so many different hats, right? It's, you know, the agent relationship, your internal st- your pro scouting staff, your players, your coach, like there's so many different things you're managing really. And, and it's about managing things. So it's interesting that that's the path he took to get there. And I think he probably yeah. learned a lot. So yeah, that yeah. just popped into my head when I saw, you know, the scouting list and his, his name made the connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good thought. Yeah. but I'll have to, uh, I'll have to
1: do some research on that
0: one. Yeah. Yes. I'm curious. So you mentioned morning games. I got to ask you. So in my experience, usually the morning games in the AHL, are the school day games when your eardrums rupture from the fight chants from the high pitched fans is our morning. How often are there morning games, the ECHL and are they surrounded by any special occasion or thing, or is it just part of the schedule? Sometimes
1: it's usually kids games, like you said, and I learned a very important lesson the first time I, I covered one, which was in Toledo. And that was bring earplugs because it is, So, so loud. Kids yelling and screaming the whole time. Um, How many games are there? Uh, You know, there's probably in the full season, I'm just going to guess here that there's maybe Mm. 12, something like that. I mean, not everybody does it. Some teams, you know, are going to do it at least once a year, like Toledo, Cincinnati. I think maybe Kalamazoo does it. Um, But, yeah, always kids games. I'm always fascinated by them in terms of, How you prepare and do you worry at all about, you know, like, excuse me, excuse me, Fort Wayne played in one on Tuesday and there was a fight in the first period and that type of thing always makes me laugh. Like, are you more likely, are you less likely to fight or have a brawl or something with all those kids there? I mean, in my experience, something wacky always happens. And I just I always think about this like. Eight-year-old kid going home and saying, oh, "I saw two adults like fight, and you know somebody broke their nose." And what their parents might think about that, but it's a hockey game, so what do you expect is going to happen? So I always find that sort of funny. And I remember Sebastian Kosa was on on our first episode, and he was talking about morning games and something about you know <laughs> the pre-game meal is a little bit different for a morning game than it would be for a nighttime game. Uh, so you know, just the whole thing is sort of wacky. And whenever I tell you know my my friends or family and sort of the NHL world that I'm covering a morning game. They're like, what the heck is that? Like, why would you have that? I
0: can't believe they do morning games at the back end of those three and threes or three and fours. like, that's, that's insane.
1: I, this was, uh, I talked to a, a a coach in the ECHL and he he called that schedule criminal, you know, having to play four games in 89 hours. Yeah.
0: You know, I'm all, I, I totally get like the scheduling, um, logistics that go into it, but that seems overboard in my opinion. Like that's a little unreasonable to ask. And I tend to agree. Yeah, product, but
1: yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: very odd. Um, very odd stuff indeed. So, Justin we need to get into i gotta be honest i just closed my tab of my notes as we are here so that is my, my long well i'll help there. you out
1: where we gonna get to the team of the week is that
0: where we're going here this is why you're here man this is why we're <laughs> this is why i have you here because you are the heart and soul of it yes the toledo walleye team of the week who do you want to highlight from this team and and also just how they've done so far this year
1: well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with the Toledo Walleye. Obviously, that's the uh, affiliate of the NHL's Detroit Red Wings, the AHL's Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, Toledo is off to a really nice start. They are 5-1-1 one, and one atop the Central Division, but we will note that they have actually played the fewest games in the league so far this year, along with Utah. Uh, so we don't have a huge body of work yet. Um you know, I think you have to start with the new coach and that's Pat McKesh. And we talked about it on the show over the summer. It seemed like a surprising hire. Uh, Pat McKesh had been in the junior ranks for the last, I believe it was 12 years before that he was an assistant coach at Michigan tech, which was his alma mater. So he came to Toledo with no professional coaching experience and if you go back and look at his head coaching experience with the USHL's Green Bay Gamblers, missed the playoffs three times, never made it past the first round. So the optics when the hire was first announced were, whoa, that's a little unusual because Toledo is one of those flagship franchises that expects to compete for a championship every year. And they've come mm-hmm. very, very close. You know, last year, um, it was the division uh, the conference finals. They had been to the Kelly cup finals twice under Dan Watson. I mean, this is a team that's come very, very close, but hasn't quite raised the Kelly cup. So you sort of assume they were going to hire somebody who was had a lot of experience, had proven success as a pro coach, but they went the other direction. There are reasons. So he is very closely aligned with Derek Lalonde, who is the Detroit Red Wings um, head coach. Lalonde formerly coached the Toledo Walleye. Uh, Mikesh was his assistant in Green Bay. And Dan Watson who was also sort of on the selection committee, if you will, in picking the next coach. He was also very involved. So, you know, these guys who know their stuff, they know Toledo. They know the expectations of the affiliation. They all signed off on this. So, you know, you assume that they know what they're doing. And, and what Pat has done so far is really good. I mean, they're off to a great start. Um, you know, I talked to him a bunch last week, and, um, you know, he said that his recruiting um, philosophy is very much uh, aligned with what Dan Watson had done and what Derek Lalonde had done before him. Uh, when you play in Toledo, there are certain things that you always expect. You always expect them to have a very offensively charged team. To be especially uh, adept in transition and to have good goaltending, and all those boxes are checked so far this year. And you know, I, I got interested in in how many of these guys he actually recruited because he hadn't been in the ECHL level before. And you know, it was it was interesting. You know, some of these guys were already basically on board, like Brandon Hawkins. Um, I think Mitchell Lewandowski was one of the guys that was on board. There are other guys, Oren Santazo is one, and he was maybe the biggest free agent signing in the entire league. Um, He thought he wanted to play for Toledo, but wanted to see who they hired as coach first. And obviously he was okay with it being Pat McKesh, because then he signed on. And then there were other guys that McKesh went out and got himself. Grant Gabriel is one of those guys. So, you know, it's early. Uh, but I like what he's done so far. The one thing I will note is he clearly has an affinity for small players, you know, small, fast players.
0: Is that what you mean by recruiting strategy? Like, are you talking about, like, the types of players he's bringing in, or do you mean where he's going to come?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I think the types of players, you know, like where, you know, there are coaches out there that always want, you know, six-foot-four and taller defensemen. There are other coaches that... You know, I'm all about having guys that are net front guys and they're just going to camp down there. You know, other guys are defensive first philosophy. Makesh is an offense first guy. He'll tell you defense is not necessarily his forte. So he went out and recruited the types of guys that Dan Watson recruited. But the one difference to me is these guys are a lot smaller. For whatever reason, he has an affinity for small players. I, I forget what the number was. But it was like 12 players, I think it was, that were 5'10 and smaller, something like that. I I might be a little bit over on that number. But a lot of those smaller guys. Now, Orrin Santazo, one of those guys, he's a smaller guy, but he doesn't play like that. I mean, he'll get his nose dirty. Uh, But that's one thing because, you know, everybody's always talking about we're going to have a big team. We're going to have a big, fast team. I don't think anybody in Toledo is going to tell you we got a big, fast team. They're just going to say we have a fast team. So, that's one interesting thing. You just don't see a lot of people, um, you know, take that approach. So, a couple other things about Toledo. You know, their goaltending might be the best tandem in the league, at least on paper. You got John Leatherman, who was the ECHL's goaltender of the year last year. You have Jan Bednar, who is a rookie. He is on an AHL contract. Uh, you have a couple other guys on – they don't only have four guys right now on either NHL or AHL contracts. The other two are Trenton Bliss and Alexandra Doucette. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Alexandra Doucette. I do not. But he's on an NHL contract, but I just want to tell you his stats, okay? He's been really good so far. He's got three goals, six points in three games. Last year, he was in the, the queue playing for Halifax – And in 36 games, 36 games, he had 31 goals and 62 points. This was after he moved from Valdor last year. In 34 games with Valdor, he had 27 goals and 53 points. So just adding that up real quick, like that's 58 goals And 115 points in 70 games in the queue. And was just, (laughs) I'd say that's pretty good myself. Uh, So you see a player like that, uh, again, not huge, listed at 6 feet, 192 pounds. He's only 21, but you want to see, okay, a guy like that, because you do see guys like this come to the with huge stats and maybe they don't replicate it. But, you know, six points in, uh, with three games played that's a pretty good start 58 um, goals is
0: pretty bonkers <laughs> right like right? and then another 14 in the playoffs in 21 games like that's pretty insane
1: yes yes uh so you can see why he got an nhl contract um but they've just got a lot of an nhl or ahl he i'm sorry he's got an nhl contract oh okay yeah the red wings signed him um but uh, you know, just going up and down their lineup, you know, I talk a lot about Brandon Hawkins. He's just he's the best goal scorer in the league. Sam Craggs is off to an incredible start. He's got uh six goals and 13 points, and he's plus 10 in seven games. Conlin Keenan, he's a player I really like, very opportunistic player, seems to always score big goals. Uh, they've got some nice rookies, Lewandowski, Chase Grisock, uh Darian Pilon, who actually started off in Fort Wayne. Uh, And then, you know, you just go down their lineup. Now, I I guess I have some concerns with their defense. Um, You know, are these guys going to be able to sustain what they've done so far? Uh, Will Cullen, Grant Gabriel, Riley McCourt's a guy who has kind of stood out to me so far. And another guy is Jake Willits. Uh, He's only got one goal, but that guy, you know, he's he'll get his nose dirty like he has been getting involved in some physical, physical stuff behind the play. Uh, but, you know, the other thing I want to mention with them is, you know, they've played Fort Wayne four times. they won three of those games. They uh, blew out Fort Wayne the first meeting. In the, other, in the next two meetings, they rallied from a two-goal deficit and then from a three-goal deficit. So you definitely like to see a team like Toledo have that sort of resiliency, um, you know, new coaches with both those teams, but I would say a lot of people believe that is the most heated rivalry in the league. So to get off to a good start against Fort Wayne definitely bodes well for you. So a lot going on in Toledo right now. Uh, I think they're going to be a factor all year long, but, you know, during the summer I had said, you know, I I don't like this hire. I'm kind of changing my tune because they got off to a great start. I've talked to him a little bit, seems to know what he's doing. And, uh, you know, good on you, Toledo.
0: Absolutely. Let's get to our prospect of the week. And with that, we'll go over to the Idaho Steelheads. And Mark, is it Rassel? Mark Rassel, yes. Mark Rassel.
1: Mark Rassel is off to a great start. He has 10 goals, which is tied for the league league with um, uh, Ryan schizowski of Reading. He's got 15 points in 10 games. Now, Rassel, he's also got four game-winning goals. Um, Russell was in Fort Wayne last year and late in the, um, in the season before. And yeah, you know, he was a player I really liked in Fort Wayne. And he was one of those guys that I had down, like whatever you do, don't let this guy get away. He had played at the university of New Brunswick that's produced a, a ton of great ECHL players over the last three, four years. Uh, before that he played at medicine hats of the Western league. He's got some size. He's 6'1", 186. Um, He's got some speed. Uh, He'll get his nose dirty in front of the net. Uh, He did some good things in Fort Wayne last year. He had 21 goals and 50 points in 68 games. Uh, Depends on who you talk to. Like, I thought he had a strong season. Some fans thought it was kind of a disappointing season because he had looked so good in the playoffs the year before. So how does he get to Idaho? Because for... Much of this the summer, the hope by Fort Wayne fans was that he was going to re-sign here, and then lo and behold, he ends up re-signing in Idaho now, or signing in Idaho now. Did the coaching change maybe have something to do with that? Eh, Maybe, but this is one of those cases of strange things can happen with players' rights when you get the AHL team involved. So, what I mean, sign
0: an an AHL deal?
1: Yes. So we've talked about this before that if you have a good relationship with your NHL AHL affiliate, you can often get them to sign players specifically for you because it alleviates some of your salary cap burden. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is essentially what happened here, but there's a downside and Mark Russell has proved the downside. So a year, a year and a half ago, Fort Wayne had played Mark Russell They brought him from new Brunswick in, um you know late in the 21-22 season and then they essentially arranged for um excuse me bakersfield to sign him now i'm sure it's more complicated than that you know they're not just gonna sign him because you know fort wayne asked him to right he went to bakersfield camp and all that stuff but he got signed by bakersfield so that was great last year because he was in fort wayne most of the year he only played one game with bakersfield And Fort Wayne didn't have to deal with as much salary cap implication. But the downside is after that season, Fort Wayne no longer has his rights because he was not on an ECHL contract last year. So they had no way to protect him, but qualifying him or anything like that. So they just lost him. You know, he went and signed in Idaho for, you know, whatever reason, because it was a good situation for him. So this is the downside of when you kind of, Manipulate the system to get some help from your affiliate and Russell has been off to a great start. He had an eight game goal scoring streak. Uh, Idaho, uh, you know, they're, they're off to another good start. They are eight, two and oh, second in the mountain division to only Kansas city. And, you know, Russell is doing all those things that Fort Wayne fans came to expect from him. And that was be a big goal scorer, opportunistic goal scorer.
0: Listen to the deal on Spotify. Absolutely. Let's get to our mailbag. So Justin put out a tweet to his followers and the Hawkins retweeted to get all our listeners, uh, you know, in front of their eyes and stuff. We had some mailbag questions. How many do we get in total, Justin? We got quite a bit. We can't get yeah, to that, I, I don't think.
1: I probably got 12 or so, so we're not going to do all of them. But I, I got some good response. We, and if you're listening, please, you know. Email me, get on social media, sports and send me more. We'll, we'll use it sure.
0: eventually. Yeah. So we narrowed the list down a bit and let's start over with the one involving Carolina.
1: Yeah. So the question was with Carolina seeking an AHL club to own or affiliate with, is it likely that an ECHL team will move to the AHL? And if a team does move from the EDA, what can fans expect to change? And then I actually got this question for a few different people. And so they also want to know which ECHL team would be most likely to move up to the AHL. So there's a lot to unpack
0: there. Can I guess? Sure. The admirals? I
1: like that. You see, that's where I was going to go. Uh, geographically, it makes sense.
0: Historically, um, they've been in his- the before.
1: They've been in the league before. They don't necessarily draw that well in the uh, ECHL, so I feel like they could be had. Now, I should stress, you know, this—I'm just guessing. You know, I'm just guessing with these teams, but I feel like they could be had for the right price. If an NHL team came in and said, "We want to buy you," or or somebody wants to buy you and move you to the AHL, it would make some sense. Um, I had some people. I threw this question out to some people around the league, and. You know, some other ideas included Greenville. Not totally unlike Norfolk in terms of geography, Mm -hmm. they draw better. I think that's a stronger market. Um, I honestly, I have to say that whenever you talk about a team that's most likely to move up to the AHL, you have to consider Fort Wayne. That has been the the speculation forever because they used to be a Triple A team. They draw so well. They've been around forever. Geography, all those things. The problem here is it's never going to happen under current ownership. So somebody would have to come in and buy the team. That could happen because the frocky family that owns them, there's no obvious heir apparent with the kids on who's going to own the team. So I, I feel like they could be had. But the one thing I would state with Fort Wayne is fans here complain about ticket prices and all that stuff as it stands in the ECHL, all that's going to go way up. If you go to the AHL, the cost of doing business is much higher. And I think that all the fans, they're always like, Oh, we deserve, you know, better quality hockey. They don't account for that, that your ticket prices are going to go way up. Uh, So that's why I think Fort Wayne's kind of a non-starter on that for now, but uh, you do have to consider it. But yeah, I like Norfolk. Uh, So I also think that answers kind of, if a team moves up, what, can fans expect to change? Well, prices is the big thing. Yeah. Um. But you know, you're gonna get better hockey. Uh. You're probably gonna get less fighting. You know. You're gonna get better officiating. Um. You know. I think it's mostly positive. Uh. But, you know, the the prices. That's the big thing for me. You so know, let I me just, ask
0: just, you a question though. From what the listener asked, is it likely that this would happen?
1: I don't know that, I mean, look, you may know more about the AHL than me in this respect, but I don't know that it has to be an ECHL team. I feel I like don't they, either. Would, they would be so desperate to just, you know, alleviate this whole situation that however they can get a team in there. Yeah, uh, I,
0: I guess, though, what works in the ECHL's favor is that, like, some of the markets we've discussed are, like, established. Like, right. there, there's a proven attraction and interest in hockey there. Course, the yeah, price I mean, you need an arena, total. right? Like, you need right, a city, you need
1: an arena, and how many of those exist right now without a team? That yeah. works
0: in an ECH, uh, sorry, that would work in an AHL-sized market. Like, they're not going back right. to Houston. They're not going right. On, like So, yeah, like, I mean. I mean, I, I toyed around
1: with Utah for a second, but, eh, you know, like, all the talk is NHL there. So, would that be counterproductive? But then know? again,
0: Batman said recently that they're, not looking at expansion for a bit so if you're utah and you want to become first in line you're probably your best bet is to show that you can run an ahl team at, like really well
1: yeah yeah i, I mean I, I think norfolk makes the most sense i mean look they're they're only averaging 2,518 fans but if you're going to go buy a team whether you also the NHL- have a,
0: a history of having an ahl team there that did quite well
1: Yes, but that's also the question. Like, do you need to buy a team that draws really well now, or uh, yeah, does that true. not matter?
0: Uh, it, that's a you're, you're on to something. I think I like, would think
1: you would want to, you would want a team that draws really well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're willing to just go in and lose money, you just want an affiliate and you'll figure out all that stuff. That's out. not realistic. <laughs> well, right. But we've seen unrealistic things happen. So that's true. That's my question. That's my answer on that one. Um, Next question. Players not reporting when traded was a big problem a few years ago. It seems to be a less of a problem in recent years. That's actually true. I have not heard too much of that. Do you have thoughts on how to reduce the the problem of players not reporting, given that players have families and being traded across the country may not be practical? Well, I mean, simply. Pick a different
0: occupation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it just just (laughs) takes communication. But. But I I think the point is like if you're in the NHL and you get traded, you're going like you're not gonna not report. But if you get traded in the ECHL, you may say, well, forget it. I'll go do something else. Or if I'm gonna leave the family behind, I'm gonna go play in Europe and make more money. Uh, So I do think a lot of this ends up being communication with the players. Um, You know, look, we're we're trading you. We're but if you've got some team that you really want to go to, we could explore it. Uh, I do think this is probably more coincidence than anything that we're uh, not seeing this happen as much, but you know, it can be a problem if you trade a player and he doesn't report and then they have to put him on suspension. So usually the team has at least talked to the player to assure that he's going to report if he's traded.
0: Wouldn't adding no movement clauses be the best thing for this league or the worst?
1: Boy, that'd be bad. I don't I think it my that's just off the top of my head. I feel like it would be bad
0: if you I if agree. You a, if you get I, a guy I, I, that just a disaster
1: Yeah, just mails it in.
0: <laughs> no, but also too, like let's say you have a situation where let's say you pile up on you have too many veterans or you have like you, you wanna like you wanna even up the roster and you see those trades where it's like a forward for a D or a skilled player for a physical guy, then you have a guy that was really good last year, but you signed to know movement clock for the following year, and he's kind of dipped off a of bit. It's kind right. of an anchor, so that, that's yeah. why I don't think it would work.
1: I mean, let, let's be honest; it's really so seldom that a trade, as much as yes. we like to talk about trades in this league and the trade deadline and all that stuff. I mean, trades—it's so rare that a trade is such a uh, like involves such big players that it's really yeah, not yeah. relevant. Like, you don't see top line guys get traded too often in this league. For you know, sure. there'll be one or two a year. You know, like last year, I think it was Tag Bertuzzi got traded. That was a big deal. Uh, yeah. But other than that, eh, it just doesn't happen that. For sure. Um, I like this question. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to have clear answers on it, but on October 25th, Kalamazoo defeated Indy 5-4. There was a play in which interference and diving slash embellishment were called. Can you explain this and what you think of this? I went and queued up the video. It was 6:53 53 into the first period, and Tanner Sorensen of Kalamazoo basically pulls Andrew Ballant by, like he comes up behind him, he pulls him by the cheek and just kind of hauls him down. Now it's not all in frame, <laughs> but I have a hard time figuring out how there was an embellishment or a dive on here. But conceptually, I get the, the question. If there's a penalty, how the heck can it be diving as well? My dad yeah. used to rail on this when we first started calling diving, like, you know, whatever that was, like 20 years ago. Like it doesn't make any sense. You know, I went and refereed for a bunch of years after that. Um, so maybe I see it in a bit of a diff- different microscope, but I don't know if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. I don't care if the guy starts flopping around on the ice like a dead fish, like he still got tripped, right? He still yeah. got
0: interfered with. I actually agree. I I mean but you know, I guess I mean, if if there's no penalty in the play and they're just dropping dead, like
1: right. I love that we call diving. Sure, That's totally fine. But, but when you yeah. call diving and the penalty,
0: yeah, that makes no sense to
1: me on the same play. It is contradictory, it's very so, weird. Like the guy really has to be really in
0: you know, embellishing Shakespearean it. performance of the century. I, yeah,
1: I mean, the best ones, I, I think the most the time the only times I've seen it where I'm like kind of okay is if it's a hook or maybe a trip where like they were gonna call it anyway and you weren't really going to fall, but then you just go sprawling out to try and really sure that's embellish the whole thing.
0: Right. In those situations, it's kind of like, okay. But even then, it's like, to be honest, if they didn't call embellishment, you wouldn't hear much from me. I don't really care.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I, I do like I, this because yeah, you yeah. see it like, like once every two months, and you're like, well, really? Is it both? But then we get so excited when they just call diving on somebody. Like, I don't know in your world, but like, People get legit excited when I'm in the press box. Like, oh, they finally called one. They called the dive. Yay. But when they call it uh, both ways, then it gets yeah. weird. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Um, Justin, any uh, old ECHL barns you never got to visit but would have liked to? Cambria County War Memorial in Johnstown was a classic barn. Many photo ops in the arena and around town from Slapshot. Uh, this is a good question. Uh, I actually got to go to so many old school barns, and right. they there really are very few of those still around. Everything now is very cookie cutter. Yeah. Um you know, it's just we've gotten rid of those old ones. So, you know, I used to go to Muskegon and Port Huron and Flint and you know, Dayton, you know, places like that, even the old Columbus Fairgrounds. Uh, there's not too many of those around. And I wonder if this person's asking because Kalamazoo, which is one of those old ones that is still around, they're, they're poised to get a new state-of-the-art arena sometime in the next uh, several years. So um, there are some I didn't get to that I would have liked to. Uh, I never got to Worcester, which is the DUC center. Um, you know, not the oldest arena, but uh, I would have liked to go there. The big one for me that I never got to was the Glens Falls Civic Center, which is now cool insuring arena, uh, in Glens Falls, New York. Uh, for me that just growing up in Detroit, I was always spending a lot of time reading about Adirondack being the AHL team, Barry Melrose coached them back then. All these big prospects were coming and there were all these times where I thought, Oh, maybe Fort Wayne will play there. And I just never got a chance to go there. Uh, so that's really the big one for me, uh, Hershey park arena, which was replaced in 2002 by the giant center. Never got there. I would have liked to go there because there's some synergy with Hershey and Fort Wayne being the two oldest teams in minor league hockey. And the other one that I I guess I would have liked to go there because if there's one arena that I hear stories about, like crazy, like you can't make up these stories, it would have been the Toledo Sports Arena. I mean, stuff about, you know, fans hitting players, walking out to the ice, spitting on the broadcaster. I mean, I'll, you know to ask people from toledo i'm not being offensive they'll tell you the toledo sports arena was famous for stuff like this so i think i would have liked to have gone there just once to see what it was like yeah spat but, on a couple times I, I i never went there but yeah i
0: mean i guess so you got a that you you never got to that you wanted to um it's a good question actually uh honestly maybe no, no not really uh it's a little bit different. Like I'm. Jacob I'm a big... has
1: lived a full life. He's, yeah, he's accomplished like, everything he wanted well, to.
0: Okay. The question is, any like old barns? I am a child <laughs> who was just born. You admitted it. Oh my gosh. I am <laughs> to anyone that's watching the video. That is not a shock. Um, yeah. Justin my dad. No, but uh, so like the old barn. Like I don't have enough longevity as a reporter. Like where I'm have seen many like closing of any eras. And like, I just kind of started like last year, the first time I was covering in well, other cities. Is, give or, me
1: one NHL arena that you
0: wish you could have seen a game at from any well, year. C- could have, as if I can never, I'm never going to be able to. I'm just, yeah. So yeah, you're saying, what arena do I Like, like
1: for me, like I went to the Boston gardens, but there was a lockout year. And so I couldn't see a Bruins game. I hope. So to I win. had I had to go see a Celtics game, which was cool. Yeah, you know, I got to see the parquet floor and all that. But I, I, it's always been out there. Like, man, I
0: never got to see a game at the Boston Guards. That was. I would one like day. to be able to go to Madison Square Garden one day. That's where. There you go.
1: I've never been there either. Yeah, we'll go together.
0: I we'll go together. Let's do it. You're I'm buying. In. Oh God. I'm, all right.
1: Uh, I'll give you one more mailbag thing, and then we'll. What's that? I said I'd be struggling. Sure, buying. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you Sounds one more bailback funny. thing and then we'll get to coast to coast. How's that sound? Let's do it. Um, all right. Uh, cheerleaders and quote unquote ice crews in hockey. Yay or nay. I say gimmick for non-traditional markets.
0: Is that yay or nay?
1: Uh, that's what the the reader said. Yeah, um, but is, that,
0: is he, is the reader yay or nay? <laughs> or yeah, I think he's,
1: he is nay. He is okay
0: Because you can hear about either way. Like, I mean, it's kind of a, I actually, (laughs) yeah, I've never had a strong enough opinion either way. I don't,
1: I haven't been to too many places that have cheerleaders.
0: The Panthers or like the Stars or someone has that. Vegas has something like that in the NHL, at least.
1: Well, the Allen Americans have cheerleaders, and I don't know if this is true, but the rumor was always that they were ones that didn't quite make the cut for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, really? Oh, that's, um, like,
0: that's, that's hilarious! That's I the, mean, practice you,
1: yeah, yeah, the practice squad. Yeah, the practice squad. I mean, you go down there. I mean, look, it's it's very Texas. You got cheerleaders. They make posters. They sign autographs. Yeah, I'm yeah.
0: Um, I'm for. It. I, I don't know why I'd be against it in that sense because, like, you know, like we talked to Miles Jack about like wanting to connect with the Allen Americans, like with, with sorry with Allen Texas and that community. Like, yeah. community is a big part of it. If you're in Texas and a city like Allen, which has like the fifth biggest high school football stadium in the country and it's like friday night lights there in real life you gotta you gotta tap into your clientele and if that is a way that is visible in sport then sure like i yeah i yeah i, I mean know, like... you know
1: ice crews if i'm understanding what they even are at this point i mean look the red wings have all sorts of people just you know skating all over the ice and they're shoveling up the the snow and I I mean, I do find that sort of funny because, you know, I'm old enough that I can remember an era where we just dealt with snow in the corners. Like it wasn't that big a deal. Like why we have to have people out there with shovels every two seconds, like slowing down the game seems a little unnecessary for me, but you know, whatever. It's never bothered me, I guess. Now sometimes I do see things that do bother me. I mean, like the guy in Toledo that dances to cotton eye Joe, I could, I could probably live without, but there are definitely things that I hate more. We should do a whole episode on the things that Justin hates because we can get into inflatables. We could get into fireworks.
0: That's an episode. That's yeah, off-season. like,
1: like, 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 can we not do fireworks on the ice and ruin the ice surface before the games even started? Indianapolis.
0: That is, that is, uh
1: those I like less.
0: <laughs> that is absurd. All right. Well, thank you to everyone that submitted questions for the mailbag. Those are great ones, honestly, and we have to narrow it down. But keep sending them in. We'll be sure to to. If we didn't get to you this last couple times, let us know and we'll give you a shout out and get your question for sure. Well, All hey, right. Coast to coast before we yes, get
1: uh, we'll roll through some coast to coast here. Want to make a mention that Mariah Fujimagari, who we talked often about with the Kalamazoo Wings, was yes. an e bug the other day. At Worcester thought that was cool that she got the e bug call for the Railers. Uh, Wheelings Jordan Frasca. He had a natural hat trick. I just want to check this. You know what a natural hat trick is,
0: right? Yes. Now. Oh, come on. I'm just make a That's turn. not even a generation thing. That's actually insulting. Uh. <laughs> I am triggered. Yes. I, I follow the sport.
1: Okay. I mean, look, I, I, I sometimes I don't know what you do know and don't know. Okay. So, sorry that I offended you, but Jordan Frasca I'm had kidding. a natural hat trick, but... The, we need a whole other name for this. When you have a natural hat trick with an even strength goal, a shorthanded goal and a power play goal the Jordan Frasca hat trick. It's the Frasca. Frasca. Yes. I like that. It's the Frasca. Uh, Adirondacks Yannick turcott played only four games and then went overseas. Um, Just mention it because you know, it, it it's one of those things in the ECHL you have a guy and then, plays a few games and gets a better offer. Is like, you know what? I'm out. Sorry, I've enjoyed my time here. Uh, But one thing I will note, Adirondack fans, is guys go overseas and other guys come back. Uh, This stat from friend of the show, Cam McGuire, who is the Idaho Steelheads broadcaster. The Steelheads set a franchise record for goals in a season with 290 last year. Last season through 10 games, they scored 38 goals. This season through 10 games, they've scored 50 goals. So, in other words, they're already way ahead of the pace that brought them a franchise record last year. But averaging five goals through a game through 10 games, pretty solid. Uh, this is from a great uh, Twitter slash X account ECHL stats. No idea who does that, but I would like to find out.
0: Yes. Five great account.
1: Five ECHL teams have an average attendance above 7,400. That is higher than 25 AHL teams. Wow. Those teams that that are drawing well in the ECHL, Jacksonville at 9,767, Fort Wayne at 8,217, Toledo at 7,568. A little note on Toledo. They did not sell out on Sunday. That broke a string of 28 straight sellouts for the walleye. Uh, Tulsa averaging 7,475 and Orlando at 7,430. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention is if you are paying attention to the standings, there are four division leaders and I would say three of them are quite unexpected. Uh, If you thought going into the season that trois Riviere would be 9-1-0 and leading the North Division, that Atlanta would be 8-1-0 and leading the South Division. And that Kansas City would be 10-2-0 and leading the Mountain Division. Um, you, should be make, you should be making predictions because you're better at it than I am. Uh, the other team that is leading its division but Justin, you're is, known
0: at being bad at making predictions. Oh, and you, you've, that been is, dunk, you've been dunked on for bad predictions, Matt. That
1: is just not... True, and people always remember the ones that go awry, they don't remember the ones that were right. Fair enough. Uh Toledo five, one, and one. They lead the central division. For what it's worth, I posted a poll to see which one of those um, you know, surprised people the most. And obviously, it's very scientific if you post a poll on Twitter X, but 34.6 percent uh thought trois Rivière and another 34.6 percent thought Atlanta were the most surprising. So tied between trois Riviere and Atlanta being the most surprising division leader so far, 22.1% then had Kansas City. And of course, Toledo was the least surprising of that at only 8.8%. But uh, a lot of surprises with those teams so far. We're still very early yet, and it's all going to equalize, I think. But uh, a lot of good teams on top of their division so far.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, that concludes today's show. Thank you again to everyone that sent in questions. Those are good ones. They they actually, uh, they had me thinking a bit. Um, And honestly, it was a good blend of, it stumped me a bit in some ways. And then also it's like, ah, that made me think. And actually, I never thought about that. So good stuff there. Thank you, Justin, for taking us around the league for Coast to Coast. And we will see you all next week with another episode. Until then though, take care.